0: Welcome to Own It from Women Lead Change. I'm Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Women Lead Change. On today's episode, I talked to Dr. Jose Marie Griffiths, the president of Dakota State University in Madison, South Dakota. President Griffiths has spent her career in research, teaching, public service, corporate leadership, workforce, and economic development, and higher education administration, with special focus on work in the STEM fields. She has served in presidential appointments to the National Science Board, the U.S. President's Information Technology Advisory Committee, and the U.S. National Commission on Libraries and Information Science. She's a member of the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, which is part of the John S. McCain National Defense Authorization Act for 2020. What a fascinating journey that you have been on, Dr. Griffiths. I would love for you, if you could just, this is not going to be easy, but tell us a bit about yourself and your journey to where you got to today. Well, it's been been a long journey, I should say that.
1: Um, It's been fascinating. I uh, don't know that I had any particular idea of direction. The only really thing in my life that I focused on as a young girl, I knew that I wanted to be a scientist, so my aim was to be a scientist and I'm a physicist, uh, a theoretical physicist. And um, then I was given the opportunity to move into computing and com- computer science, computational science, initially in support of of, of physics and chemistry and then uh, gradually more broadly. But that then took me to, brought me to the United States and um, I was invited to go to UC Berkeley as a visiting professor. And once I was there, a lot of people started to get to know me, see me at conferences and, offer me jobs. And basically, from that point onwards, I just looked and kept, kept myself open to different opportunities. So I spent 10 years in Washington, DC, doing research for a variety of different federal agencies. And then um, after the 10 years, when came back into the academic sector, um, went down to the University of Tennessee and the Oak Ridge National Lab. But every move that I've made has been, oh, there's an interesting opportunity here for me to do something different or for me to contribute or or for me to bring my expertise to bear uh, in a, for a particular organization. And so one of the things I've been able to do and I've been fortunate to do is, is to select those things that seem best at that time and take advantage of opportunities. And it's led me, as you say, all over the place, not in a straight line from any one place to any other. But I also think that decision to focus on physics, so physics at um, university has been um, a very, very solid underpinning for me. Um, it allows me to understand technologies perhaps at a level that some others can't, because to some extent I can understand the physics of things, how materials work, how lasers work, how computers work, etc. And then um, the other thing I think, the uh, coming from the UK to America. Um, The other other asset that I think has helped me is my accent, (laughs) because people like to hear me talk. Um, People used to come up to me in Berkeley and say, just talk. And I say, what would you like me to say? Well, say anything. It doesn't matter. We just like to hear you talk. And so I do think that that has allowed me to um, to communicate with people um, in a way that perhaps I haven't had necessarily to work as hard at as I might have done if I had the same accent as everybody else.
0: That's so interesting, and I don't think you're wrong, actually. I could listen to you talk all day too. Um, was this something the sciences was this something that your family was involved
1: in? you know was this something from a very early age that you were interested it, in that's a, that's a great question um actually the uh, my father was a math high school math teacher. We all in our family have strength in in math, but when I was quite young, I read the story of Marie Curie. And the idea of discovering something that absolutely nobody else knew about, which is what science is all about, if you discover something, is what appealed to me. And this woman who went through amazing odds to accomplish what she accomplished, and she was not recognized for many, many years, um, and was recognized eventually uh, outside of France rather than inside of France, Um, and what she went through With her work, I think was amazing. She not only was a great scientist, but she was a great collaborator and she brought groups together and she brought them together in a family sense, so that the group of scientists that were working uh, together at that time in Paris were friends and family, would vacation together. And I I call that really a knowledge community. To me, that was the ultimate knowledge community they shared. Their various um, expertises in physics and chemistry together. They talked about their work. They obviously enjoyed each other's uh, company. Their children got to know each other. And uh, that sort of I found very inspirational.
0: Do you think it was helpful that that she was a woman? Sometimes we hear the phrase, you have to see it to be it. You know,
1: was that important to you? It probably did. It probably Mm -hmm. did. Well, our our school environment's a little bit different in the UK. So um, when you go to middle and high school, very often it's um single sex education so i went to all girls schools my brothers went to all boys schools so mm. in that environment we could do anything i mean we, we could exceed there was no real peer pressure there was competition of course but it was all girls going to college was a bit of a shock <laughs> a very how so how so ever encountered and of course i go into physics and i think there is a handful of women i think two of us two or three of us finished um, so that was very, very different. Um, but I do think that allowed me to really succeed in a way where I don't know what would have happened if I'd been going into middle school in this country. It is interesting. So would you advocate for that? Uh, I have a daughter. Um, when she was in uh, going into fifth grade, we were looking at schools, and there was a lot of competition. She was in these fourth, fifth grade classes in science. And we actually took her out for um, middle school and she went to um, first of all an experimental school at the university of michigan and then she went into an all-girls school and then from there went into a co-head class in high school and i think Hmm. that did help her develop uh, self-confidence one she was advanced in math so she was helping tutor some of the other girls in math as a sixth grader her math teacher in that middle school was a faculty member in in the School of Business at the University of Michigan. I mean, he was great with her and she really enjoyed learning three different kinds of math, right? They did Singapore math, they did the traditional math, they did something else and she learned it all and became very, very confident in her abilities. And I could just see it coming out of that mixed fourth, fifth grade classroom where she was the fourth grader and therefore somewhat jostled aside for control of the computer or whatever. And um, at this uh, small school, she, she really came into her own and then she was able to uh, be comfortable and confident as she went on into high school.
0: I feel like we're more aware of that now in our schools. You know, we've identified that age when our young women are more susceptible to peer pressure and they fall away from the sciences.
1: Are you seeing that shift in, in higher ed as well? I think there is, because, you know, for a long time, um, people talked about the need for more people um, in uh, STEM education. And we certainly talk about more people in the various areas of uh, technology. But I think that we've realized now for quite some time that we really need to get back to definitely middle school education, and maybe even before that, to prime the pump, as it were, to get people to, uh, to develop their capabilities and not be overshadowed, you know, as you're going into middle school, boys tend to be a bit more physical, a bit more aggressive, um, a bit more assertive, girls then grow in maturity. So by the time they finish middle schools, girls are more mature than sort of emotionally and mentally to some extent. Um, so I do think there are differences in de- in development, physical and emotional and cognitive that that play a role in how people develop their futures. Um, the other thing is, of course, get, making sure that we have teachers who may not themselves be very comfortable with STEM to at least promote STEM a- a- across the board so that there are um, lots of opportunities for girls and minorities in STEM um, that if they aren't on that track, and it's not really a fixed track, but to some extent they have to be on track by the time they leave middle school or it's too hard to catch up. And we still so many people now coming out of high schools that just didn't develop and take the various math courses or the science. They took what they had to, but they didn't take anything more advanced. And it's hard to come back to that after a period of time, I think. What have you seen at
0: Dakota State? What has your, your experience been? If you had more more young women decide to, to go this route there?
1: Yes. Um, well, first of all, you know, Dakota State is so heavily underpinned by computing and information technologies and cybersecurity. So we have what we call cyber, we have sort of computer intensive degrees, so that would be computer science, cybersecurity of various flavors, artificial intelligence. And then we have computer-infused programs, which would be the traditional elementary education, business, um, arts and sciences, we have digital arts and sciences, communications, etc. Um, in our more technical area, we have made a deliberate effort to try to encourage more young women into the field. Um, uh, we have an organization that was established by two of our faculty members by Ashley Podradsky and Pam Rowland called CybHer, And we have created a Saibher Institute and through um, various uh, donated funds, they've been able to create a, a wide variety of programs. By the way, the Cyberher students are not just female students, but we have male students engaged too. they go out into the uh, uh, the K through 12 arena from fifth grade on upwards, go into classrooms they take robots and other fun things and try and encourage people to consider careers. And they're also very instrumental in running some of our summer camps. It's so
0: interesting you say that, Dr. Griffiths, because we, we womenly change, we, we talk a lot about being mindful about not having these conversations in a vacuum, that we really need to have our male allies and those, um, you know, we, we all know where we're coming from. So it's important for us to be able to have a platform where we can share, uh, but it's also important to have allies. Was that
1: important in, in your development too? It absolutely was. I mean, I mean sort of even um, uh, at college, I had a, a an advisor, uh, well, but they're, mo- they're mostly male, they were, I think we only had one female faculty member in physics and math. Um, and that's all we take in, in England, you don't really take any more subjects. Um, so I did, he was um, a, actually quite a young man, we, we of course, thought he was, uh, you know, very wise, and he was uh, um, a particle physicist and doing work in Switzerland. Um, I realized many years later, as did my my colleagues in my class and the class above me, that he probably was only about three or four four years older than we were. Um, But he was very instrumental in encouraging me and leading me forward. And then as I moved into um, my doctoral work, I had an advisor, a male advisor, who was really uh, very, very helpful, not just in guiding my research, But he and his wife would invite me to dinner at least once a week, if not two or three times to meet people who were coming through London, that they were entertaining. And so I got to meet people in such a wide variety of areas from all over the world who were coming to London and visiting the university. So that was extremely helpful. And then he put me in touch with the um, with the dean at UC Berkeley. And that was how I was invited to come to the United States in the first place. So there's a there's a mentoring, a heavy mentoring impact there, and then a networking impact as well. That was very instrumental, I think, in my uh, my intellectual and professional growth.
0: Have you brought that with you? Do you do the I same? Try. I do yeah, try. I think it's mentoring a lot. is
1: very, very important. Um, I have mentored male and female students, um, uh, people who sort of seem to be looking for that kind of advice and then come back. Um, I have been. In, I stay in touch with many of those students. Um, uh, they, they, they send me notes when they uh, get a uni- their first university job. They send me notes when they're going up for tenure. They still ask me to review things for them. And I'm happy to do it because it is so rewarding to see them grow and flourish. But because often they, when they first came to me, they, have, they had a problem or they were facing a crisis of some kind. And Helping them through that so they could develop that self-confidence and the ability to deal with adversity, I think, is very important. And you can't learn that on your I suppose you could try and learn it on your own. It's very hard. It's much easier if you have someone to encourage you and say, "Yep, that happened to me, too. And this is how Mm -hmm. I overcame it. Or why don't you do this? I think that's very important.
0: Mount Mercy University was founded in 1928 by a group of bold women intent on breaking barriers. Inspired by the Sisters of Mercy, Mount Mercy is committed to fulfilling their mission to expand abilities, equip you to lead with purpose, and empower you to accomplish your goals. Mount Mercy offers graduate, accelerated, and traditional programs to people from all walks of life. Their forward-thinking, future-focused approach puts you on the path toward success. Mount Mercy University, The future is female. Their past was too. Discover more at mtmercy.edu. One of the things that we've seen through um, data from multiple places, including McKinsey, who I respect, of course, yes. is that, you know, women were so affected by the pandemic. And and a lot of it is tied to our careers. You know, hospitality, for example, took such a hit. Um, we're seeing now women who are re-careering and, and not just because of the pandemic, but when you look at even our, you know, manufacturing industry, for example, um, there's a lot of automation now. There is a required knowledge of technology. You know, for someone who may be mid-career, Dr. Griffiths, what would you advise them in terms of engaging in a STEM career at this point?
1: I think uh, there, there are two kinds of people who work in STEM. They're the people who, especially in computing, there are the people who are developing the technologies. I would call those the hardcore technologists. And there are people who are using and applying the technologies and they're very different so you don't have to be a heavily proficient in mathematics to be able to use technologies effectively Um, i think you have to be a little bit open-minded and try and understand how a little bit about how technologies work how they can be helpful how they can be extended if you like because you know we all use technologies in different ways but you know we use technology every day in everything we do at work, at home, and, and in recreation. And uh, so I think people should feel somewhat confident. Um, it's interesting, I was just reading an article about how colleges apparently overestimate the tech knowledge, the techie knowledge of their students. And there is a tendency to that. It used to be people used to put on their resumes, yes, I'm a programmer, I can use Word. Um, you know, that's not being a programmer. So just understanding what your capabilities are. There are many, many opportunities for short courses and professional credentialing that emerge. And many companies will put you through those programs. The other thing that's a big deal these days, and and, uh, we're going to see more of, are um, apprenticeships. So I would encourage women not to be afraid of apprenticeships. It's not that you are necessarily going all the way back to the beginning. But you would get a hands-on experience with mentors in an environment where you may uh, want a job long term. And it's just a very good way for um, an organization to evaluate and help you develop along the, in the direction that they'd like you to develop. So we like our students to the extent possible um, to take internships because it gives them that real world experience and apprenticeships are just a little bit more intense versions of internships.
0: You talked a little bit about the education system in the UK uh, I'm sure it's, it, it may be very different today. Uh, I'm wondering if you can, do you have any thoughts on how we are doing in this country, in terms of educating our young people to be ready for you know a world that does require you know so much more knowledge it seems in technology.
1: A couple of big differences between the UK and the US um, in their educational systems. Well, first of all, the UK is much smaller, and it tends to be somewhat more centralized in terms of its education system. In the United States, so much of the education is driven at the state level. And that can be a plus and it can be a minus. Um, it's difficult then to make sure that people are doing similar things across, across state lines. My daughter got caught in that as we moved from one state to another and she'd taken certain courses and she hadn't taken other courses. So she's taking, you know, and, and it gets to be a bit of a mess. But the UK uh, education system has become more Americanized And what that means is you you have a stronger liberal arts underpinning than we had in the UK In the UK, we had a very broad education. But then the last couple of years of high school, you really specialize and that then allows you to determine what you can what you can take at university if you like. I think it's broadened a little bit, but not a lot. So it's still that you have a very liberal education through a university education. So my all my courses when I was at university were physics, chemistry and math, I mean, physics, sorry, physics and math, not even chemistry, physics and math, that was all I did. Um, actually, I, che- I went out and I took some extra classes in uh, history and philosophy of science, just to have some fun. There were whole areas that I would have explored, I think, in a in a university in the United States, um, to have that broader base. So it's just a little bit different and uh, i don't know exactly how far they've gone in the uk in broadening it but in terms of preparing people for the technology um, enabled world that we have i think the uk is a little bit more advanced um i my understanding is they're teaching cyber hygiene as early as kindergarten now and again because it's a unified system then all the all the schools can teach the same curriculum um so it doesn't depend on one county or another county or another part of the United Kingdom to do something a little bit differently, or at least in England, uh, England and Wales, um, I think Scotland and Ireland have a slightly different approach. But if you start in the garden, when people have their own, their own computers or, or electronic toys, and you're teaching them healthy computer user habits, um, that will carry on through and then you can build on that uh, to talk about, um, you know, basic principles of cybersecurity as we do in our In our camps for fifth graders on up, you can teach artificial intelligence and robots, how they work and how to program them. You can teach that. Um, You can teach all sorts of things once you've got a a sort of habit and a base of doing it.
0: We're seeing more and more, I think, in this country where we have schools, um, lower schools, middle schools and high schools specifically, beginning to recognize the benefits of maybe focusing in in an area. Whether it be healthcare or technology, is that something that you think, you know, would be helpful at this point?
1: I do. You're talking about magnet schools of a kind. Um, yeah, I do think yeah. it's helpful. helpful. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I, I think it's worked well for the performing arts. I think it works well for STEM. I think it works well for international and policy studies. I've seen those kinds of magnet schools. I do think so. I don't think everybody needs to go to a magnet school. But I think giving people an opportunity to experience the kinds of things that are going to be relevant for a career. um, That's really good. I, I hope that we don't see young people wait till their last year in high school to think about careers. Um, And, and I know there's a lot of conversation that often counselors are dealing with so many issues in high schools that they really aren't dealing quite as much um, in a one-on-one sense in career counseling so again hopefully um, uh, high schools and even middle schools hopefully they will leverage um, local resources practitioners in the field um, business people people with not-for-profits to actually uh, come in and talk to students about different kinds of career opportunities Um, because you know other you know i had i was mindful of what i wanted to do but I don't know if somebody talked to me about about philosophy or psychology, I could have done something totally different. And I just think needing exposure and especially things that relate to things going on in your area, uh, you know, how does it work? I mean, here we're now working on uh, how computers relate to agriculture. Uh, Right. If you look at the harvesting Mm -hmm. of um, the crops here, it's done by Mm -hmm. machines that drive themselves. They're driven by computers and satellites. I mean, it's really amazing to watch. And uh, um, it's the whole area of agriculture is changing in that sense, but, but, and that's one that's just very interesting for our local students. Um, but I think there are many other things that, that students could do, get an understanding get an understanding of what it means to be in business. So we're doing a lot of entrepreneurial work now with middle and high schoolers, giving students, like the Girl Scouts do and the Boy Scouts do with, with their uh, cookie sales and uh, popcorn sales and so on um so we try and inject that into uh, young people as well from an early age
0: has your gender ever been a barrier i'm just curious
1: i've where you are, you never know? it was one time i have never thought it because my parents uh, you know my brothers and my sister and i are first generation students my father did um after he came out of uh, world war ii did one year teacher ed to prepare him he should have been either um, an engineer or an architect, you know, he had that strong base. But um, the only time it was a detriment was my at the end of my the year before I graduated college, I applied for an internship. And every male student in my class was interviewed, and the three female students were not. But that just sort of stiffened my resolve to find a place where I wanted to work. And I actually um, got a fellowship to the National Physics Lab. And you know, got to work with them, they wanted me to stay and I wanted to do a PhD. So I went back to school afterwards to do my PhD. But that was the only time ever since then, I've never felt that it was a detriment. And I've used it in a way to my advantage. I have a name, Jose Marie, people think I'm Hispanic and male. In the UK, they think that as well as here. And my resume was pretty vague. <laughs> um, and so people um, in the IT industry that I would meet, were not expecting to meet me early in my career. And what was interesting is when they when I finally showed up, or they finally showed up and realized who I was, there was a a little bit of a moment where they are feeling a little embarrassed. And I thought that was quite helpful, um, that they're feeling a little defensive. So they're sort of reaching out to make sure that they can demonstrate that they really aren't prejudiced. And it wasn't they were prejudiced, just everybody makes an assumption on who you are. And that's helped. I've also found in various groups that I'm on, especially advisory boards, when there were a few, I was one that was, I think, 24 people, and there were six females. There is a tendency in the professional world, when a woman says something at the table, the men don't absorb it. Can I put it that way. They're sort of listening, but they're not listening. And you'll find a a few minutes later, a man will say the same thing. And everyone says, great idea. So when I was on this one board, the, the the, the six women would get together for dinner the night before and then we would position ourselves at the table and if that happened somebody would point out that well yeah that was a good idea that so-and-so had i'm glad you picked up on it so it was a it was a, a reinforcing of uh, women for women in an environment with men where we wanted to educate men that they really weren't listening And that has not stopped happening anywhere. It does happen. Um, And I just find it a fascinating thing. The other thing I should warn people about, and I'm sure people have it, but when they're young, they don't expect it. The whole imposter syndrome. You know, I've been very successful in my career. I can look back at it and say, yeah, I've done a lot of things that, you know, I hadn't thought I would do and, and it was great. But imposter syndrome is always there. And we just have to learn to recognize it and deal with it and move on. And everybody gets it. I'm sure men get it too. They just don't necessarily admit it. But I do think that we should expose people to the fact that it exists. Mm -hmm. And it's not the death knell of your career. If you're suddenly feeling nervous, I've been in many situations where I say, I wonder when they're going to find out how much I don't know. <laughs> <That's right.
0: laughs> Hearing you say that, it's amazing how powerful that can be. Just acknowledging that. So thank yeah. you for that. This is the Own It podcast. So we always ask our guests, what is it about you that you may or may not have thought was a, a benefit that maybe turned out to be? Um, what is that trait in you and how do you own it?
1: I think the, the trait that I have is an ability to communicate. And that comes up through my education in the UK. In our high school classrooms, we did a lot of uh, interaction, speaking, debating, etc., cetera, use of language. And we do that in an environment where other people are listening. So the notion of fear of public speaking is not quite as strong, I think from somebody who's had that kind of an education, as I see in the United States, people's biggest fear I'm speaking to a large group. Um, I've always felt that I interact with people as if we were one-on-one. And if I'm in a group with a, with a cast of thousands, I'm still speaking to every single one of them. And that's the way I communicate. And it's been very helpful to me. I also can argue because I've been a debater And so I can play devil's advocate and try and tease out a conversation. So I think what people have often said about me was well, okay, so you're this scientist and a techie and you know, all this technical language, but you can communicate it in effective ways. And when I got my first big executive position was at the University of Tennessee, I was um, asked to take on the vice chancellorship of computing and telecommunications. And it wasn't that I was really the expert in how to run administrative systems or deep deep research systems. It was because I could communicate to the leadership team at the university in ways they can understand. And I could go and talk to the technical personnel in ways they could understand. So that ability to communicate with different groups. Um, I'd been uh, in a business too, so I can communicate with CEOs. I think that's very, very helpful. So along with whatever subject knowledge people are learning if they could develop those communication skills and if you started in the classroom um, when you're talking in front of a group of what 30 40 50 um, you can feel more comfortable and I'll give you an image um, my daughter went into a uh, a piano pedagogy program she was you know with a group of students learning piano I think when she was in fifth grade and what they did every student had a private lesson every week and they had a group lesson and in the group lesson they had to play for each other, and they had to comment. So it was really funny listening to the fifth graders saying, "Yes, you had good posture." And they had a certain number of positive things to say, "Oh, you kept rhythm or or whatever it was, you know. And um, they got used to playing to an audience. So they were doing recitals then to the university community, and it's just like doing a recital to my group that I see every week. And so becoming, Communication is such a key part of everything that we do these days. Um, and I don't want people to hide completely behind the computer screen. So learning to develop those those skills of just explaining something, just asking questions, um, teasing out information and communicating, I think is, is important for everyone. Wonderful. Dr. Jose Marie
0: Griffiths, thank you for all you're doing for women and men at Dakota State uh, and elsewhere, and for taking time out for our podcast today. We learned so
1: much. Thanks very much, Tiffany.
0: Even Dr. Griffiths knows about imposter syndrome. There is hope for the rest of us. We're excited to welcome Tamara Maori housley as our closing keynote speaker at the Quad Cities Conference on October 6th. Tickets are on sale at wlcglobal.org. Nominations for the Quad Cities Athena Leadership Awards close August 15th. Visit wlcglobal.org to nominate a woman doing great things in the categories of Athena, Women of Influence, and Emerging Leaders. Join us for the two-day Central Iowa Conference on October 25th and 26th, featuring the founders of The Home Edit. Tickets on sale at wlcglobal.org. Karen Allen joins us for a virtual workshop in August on the mindset shift that changes everything. Tickets on sale at wlcglobal.org. The Women Lead Change store is open 24-7. Visit wlcstore.myshopify.com. Follow Women Lead Change on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. We appreciate it so much.